This is exactly right. If you're a fan of meticulously crafted worlds that reimagine every little detail, then you'll enjoy the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Host Eric Malinsky spent over a decade working in public radio and uses those skills to create a sound-rich podcast that features interviews with Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian, the writers of hit TV shows like Star Trek Strange New Worlds, designers of games like Magic the Gathering, and the puppeteer who designed Miss Piggy. You can find Imaginary Worlds wherever you're listening to this podcast. It is your friends here at I Saw What You Did. It's a bonus episode. Hey, Danielle, what's up? What's up, Millie? So, yeah, how many have we done? This is like our third or fourth. It feels like. I think like this our, is our fourth one. Our fourth. Right? Maybe? Yeah. yeah. We got an amazing response from the last one, um, which was the one that was all about you and getting to know you. Um, everybody now knows that you were chased by a bear which is really great (laughs) um the thing that changed in between that episode and this episode is that actually your book is officially available for pre-order it has a cover it's like your your little baby girl on the cover it's so great do you want to talk about it a little bit like when it's coming out and um yeah my book is called the ugly cry it's a memoir about my life up to age 18 um and it comes out on June 8th, and it's available for pre-order now, which actually helps more than I thought. Like, I don't know a lot about the business end of a lot of the things I do for a living, um, but I do now know that pre-ordering helps a ton, and it also helps uh, independent bookstores so they can make a case for kind of like, you know, ordering, keeping it on the shelves or, you know, so definitely... If you want to get your orders in early, it's much appreciated. Um, but especially if you order from independent bookstores, it's very appreciated. The impact is like direct and immediate. Yes, I shall find a independent bookstore in this town that I'm this godforsaken town that I'm in. Uh, Wouldn't it be great if I didn't send you a copy? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm buying it. See, this is okay. This is the thing that all of y'all think is going on, which is that. I'm going to toot my own horn here for a second. I got a lot of friends that do a lot of great shit. Okay. They're out there publishing books. They're out there releasing albums. Uh, They're out there like, you know, I don't know. Like, do I have friends that are in the Olympics? I don't know. But anyway, (laughs) the bottom line is that like, everybody's like, oh, she must get comped all this stuff. No, I go out and actually purchase. I make the purchases. I buy That's the albums. You're a great I don't, I'm not calling people at the last minute and be like, yo, can you get me on the guest list for the show? I'm like, no, I'll just buy a ticket. I'm a grown ass. I'm woman. the same way. I'm yes. the same way. We, we connect on that level, but I, I'm, I'm like, look, I'm going to buy one. If you want to send me one, that's fine, but I'm going to support you. Yes. Like it's up to you. But like, it's not the expectation of the getting it for free for my friends who are doing cool shit. I'm like, let me support your fucking book. Let me buy your shit. And if you want to send me one, great. Put put a recipe in it. I don't care. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh cut out God. a recipe from a cracker box, jam it in the book, and send it to me. It's that odd. will be my bookmark for your book. <laughs> it's like a, a Ghirardelli chocolate chip cookie recipe that was cut out from the back of a bag that has chocolate <laughs> smears on it. And I'll just Chocolate's weird. fucking be like, I'm on chapter 12. What? I can't read it because there's chocolate all over it. But at least I clipped a recipe from a bag. Like, what's this word? I can't read it because it's smeared with chocolate. <laughs> I will laminate that for you. I will laminate that chocolate bookmark. I will do it. Well, speaking of childhood. Yeah, that's a perfect segue to what this uh, episode is going to be about ultimately, which is that Danielle and I were talking about movies. Hey, that's weird. And um, we were like, wouldn't it be fun to sort of discuss movies that we liked in high school? And, uh, you know, just maybe it's just sort of a reference point for the things that we were into when we were in high school, but also just as a way to kind of like put some more movie stuff up on the bonus episode page. And also we don't want to necessarily be as formal as we do 
on the regular feed. So it'll just be like a cool hang talking about movies. I think we're picking like five a piece, four a piece, five a piece. Uh, if that deviates, then don't sue us. But, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I just think or it would do, be funny. Because I want to see that that lawsuit in front of a judge. Like, they said five, <laughs> and these motherfuckers did eight movies each. <laughs> I did not carve out that kind of time in the day. I am litigious as fuck right now. <laughs> and I'm raring to go. So, you went to high school in upstate New York. Was there a lot of movie theaters where you were at? We were lucky to be surrounded by um, other towns. Like, it's pretty easy. I know some places where people live, it's, like, very sparse. And it's like, all right, if I live here, the next town isn't until, like, 40 minutes away. So we were surrounded by a bunch of towns. There was a big movie theater in Middletown um, that was kind of like your mall movie theater with the, you know, the apex of the nice seats and the good popcorn. And But we also had a bunch of, like, just dumpy little ones that were just kind of still tru- trucking along. And, like, there was one in a mini mall or, like, a strip mall that I always loved in Chester. And we also, I'm very lucky that in Warwick, and it's still running, still going, we had a drive-in. Yeah, nice. In my town. So it wasn't like we had to travel there to, to go. We just like went two minutes down the road and there's a drive-in movie theater. So there were weirdly movies all around us. Um, and I also had that strange, like a really strange experience where we were we were close to New York. So people would occasionally film in my town because my town is like very old looking. So um, they would film on Main Street and, you know, all kinds of shit. But what about you? Because you grew up right around Atlanta. Yeah, North Side. North side. So what was it like for movies there? It was kind of the same bag. I mean, it was like a lot of chain, you know, I guess it, there wasn't really um, there was no like regal. It was, I think, AMC maybe. But then and this is the thing that I was ultimately getting to with asking you that question, because did you ever go see first run movies like in, in like I never went to, like maybe once in a while as a treat with my friends. And at the time. A first run movie cost four dollars and twenty five cents. And even then I was like, I can't afford that. <laughs> like my parents were like, oh, hell no. So did you did you go to first run movies a lot? I I don't r- really remember going. I strangely did. And I actually have a bag of ticket stubs that I've saved that I looked oh, cool. through the other day. Um, but I did because I started getting an allowance when I was in sixth grade. So I guess around what is that like a, like 11, 12 Um like I, I lived with my grandparents for a year and they kept asking me to do shit around the house. And I'm like, yo, nobody else I know does any of this. And if they do, they get an allowance. And my grandmother was like, all right, cool. I see you and I raise you a you are going to wash the floors on your fucking hands and knees. You're going to do dishes. You're going to take out the garbage. You're going to wash the drapes. Ew, God, that's that's a terrible task. Drapes are so heavy. <laughs> They're so heavy. And like, I would do that for the grand sum of $20 a month. Oh my God. <laughs> $20 a fucking month. And I remember when I was in seventh grade, I got bumped up to um, $10 a week. And then I got bumped up to $20. And then I got a job. <laughs> so by the time I was in high school, I was like, oh, I've gotten a couple of raises. But that was because she would not pay for any entertainment. So she wasn't out here paying for CDs, cassettes, movies. She's like, if you want to go to that shit, when your little friends come and take you to the mall and you go to the mall with their parents, you pay for it. She wasn't paying for like jeans. She, she wasn't paying for anything above and beyond what was like the bare minimum to take care of me, to keep me out of CPS. Like that was her jam. <laughs> so I did like, I, if I went, I pay for it myself. That's great. I, yeah, I never, I never saw first run movies. And I, the funny thing is, is my parents actually loved going to the movies, but they only took us to the dollar movie theater because they were extremely cheap. Well, you had one girl. We had not only a dollar movie theater. We had a 50 cent movie theater. See, if that was even available, that would have been the jam. I'm like, why would I spend more money on this when I could have been spending it on something else? That's great. Yeah, there was a place called Blackwell Cinema that was down the street from where I lived. Pretty sure it was a porno theater at one point, as most 50 cent movie theaters usually are. Uh, it was like a t- like a real tiny two theater. Yeah, it looked like a like a black box theater that like experimental theater people would hang out at. It was not it was barely a screen, but 50 cents. And we went all the time. And we, but then 
the point being is that I didn't see movies until months and months and months after they came out. So I was always late to the party. And then, yeah, there was a couple of times I went to see like the four dollar and twenty five cent movie. And um, it was usually a big event, like, right. you know, when something that like my entire school was going to go see, then maybe that was the thing. Like when I don't I can't even now I can't even recall a movie that came out that like my entire high school loved um, to me. Being in high school was all about going to the dollar movie theater, 50 cent movie theater, and also renting VHS tapes, which is that was it. Essentially how I saw all these films that we're going to talk about today is that I actually don't think I saw any of them in the movie theater. I I saw them all on VHS. So I think I saw one of these in the movie theater, but VHS for sure. And my grandmother, for some reason, she was she was not shelling out for much but she always paid for HBO. So yeah. a lot of these movies were things that they just played over and over and over again <laughs> throughout my youth, like truly. And then if you didn't catch it on HBO and you didn't record it onto your own videotape from HBO, then you wouldn't see it again for like years until it came out on its, you know, until it came out and you were able to rent it again. Yeah. Okay. So having said all of this, I'm just curious, like what's your first film? A film that you loved in high school. This is, is going to be such an embarrassing episode but you know what it's who i who i am it's who i was not not even ranking these because they all hold the same amount of importance yeah. in my brain say let's just say that for to begin like these are in no particular order they will not be chronological they're just kind of like the ones we've just chosen five and we're just gonna we're just gonna riff on them <laughs> We're, we're not we're not being it. there's not no formality to this at all i'm not gonna give you a fucking sleeping pill-esque history of the fucking production or the director no. we're literally just gonna riff so well i'm riffing on this one and the first movie that i loved so much in high school and i actually i haven't watched it recently i would be hard pressed to say if it would or wouldn't hold up is madhouse with john larroquette and chris kirstie alley what are you talking about i am talking about house guests from hell John Larroquette. Released in 1990. (laughs) This movie was the funniest thing to me in the world when it first came out. And it's essentially about this couple who keeps having people move into their house like one by one. Mm -hmm. And then like truly all hell breaks loose. There's like a cat (laughs) who keeps dying and coming back. There's a neighbor kid who's the neighbors end up having to move in in like the weirdest possible way. It is a movie based purely in chaos, but John Larroquette was so funny to me when I was a kid. Like, he was on Night Court, and, like, I just thought he was such a funny fucking dude. John Larroquette was a star. And then John Larroquette, I forget what, he was in something recently that I was like, or not recent, not like this year, but he was in something within the last couple of years that I was just like, he's pretty good actor, too. Like, he was just, he filled a role in the 80s and 90s, but he's also a pretty good actor, I gotta say. Yeah. <laughs> like, and... Very attractive to me, but I was a child. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, kind of like a silent killer, man. Like he was like, I mean, of course now they they wring the sponge out until there's no water in it. But like a comedic guy who is kind of secretly hot. I mean, that's yep. like the best, right? But of course now that's like every actor. Every hot guy has to be funny. Every funny guy has to be hot. Um. Yeah, I, John Larroquette, man. And Kirstie Alley, I mean, I don't even know if we should. I mean, this is pre, I, I guess I should add that. This is pre-Kirstie Alley popping off on like, like that Scientology, like super conservative yeah. <laughs> bent. Uh, this is this is pre-that. And um, she was funny because she's a really good funny crier. Yeah. And she like I, weeps throughout <laughs> this movie. <laughs> I remember some of those chops from Look Who's Talking. I remember yeah. she she cried a lot in that movie. That's <laughs> so funny. <gasps> Have you ever seen Madhouse? I've never seen Madhouse. I wouldn't even say it's good. It is hilarious. And it hit me at a certain point in my life that made me for it, it endeared itself to me forever. And I watched it like 90 times. Good. I've seen it it so many times. It was always on HBO or Showtime. But what is your first movie that you loved in high school? So this is going to be potentially embarrassing, but I'm just going to say it. Uh, One of the movies that I really enjoyed in high school is this movie called 
Untamed Heart oh! from 1993. <laughs> he doesn't make sense. I don't make sense. Together we make sense. Speaking of Marissa Tomei. <laughs> I am laughing because I have two Christian Slater movies on my list. Okay. Go for it. Okay. <laughs> I need to explain myself a little bit because the number of times that I've seen this movie is appalling. Like I've seen Untamed Heart, like maybe we're like in, we're definitely in the double digits. Maybe we're in like the 20s. Like it's, I've seen it quite a few times in fact i remember untamed heart was the last dvd that i ever bought at a blockbuster video oh my yes which was it was actually later than you would think i didn't buy the dvd in high school i only rented it in fact i I rented the vhs in high school i bought the dvd in college you're like look i need this in every format going forward (laughs) so stupid Um, I yeah I ran down the street I was living I was actually living on my own at the time in Atlanta and there was a blockbuster that was like behind my apartment and I remember like I for some reason had this like deep yearning to rewatch Untamed Heart because I loved it so much in high school so I ran down the street went to blockbuster video I bought the unopened DVD wasn't even used. It was brand new, uh, which meant it cost like $39.99 or something for standard def, right? And um, I remember the guy that checked me out was this like guy that I sort of knew and I thought was like kind of cute, but I didn't really know him. And I was just like, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> no Friday night. Yeah, he was <laughs> just Jericho. like, uh, nice choice. <laughs> Even Dumbass. this is back in the day when even blockbusters, when even blockbuster employees would throw shade. Basically, if you haven't heard about this movie, it's essentially a movie where Marissa Tomei works at a diner and she meets like the dishwasher of the diner, and it's Christian Slater, and she finds out that he has had heart surgery, and he was told as a child that he got a baboon heart. In, put in his body from it, I swear to God, it, it, I don't it was like some kind of safari African themed thing. I, I it was that was very unclear to me. Oh, but also like they never disabused him of that notion. Like he's an adult now with a job and he's still going around telling people like I got a baboon heart. Yeah. And this is, this is the part where I'm a little unclear. Now. I don't know what his vibe was, to be honest. I don't know if it was that he had some kind of mental illness or something like where he really, truly believed it, or he was just kind of made to be this like sensitive guy. (laughs) I can't. I'm totally imagining this scene from this movie. This is this is the plight of straight women for ages. Like I am just working my goddamn best i'm working my ass off of my feet all fucking day serving food my crush is on a dishwasher who seems like he could be kind of cool and then he starts talking to me about a fucking baboon heart and i just gotta run with it <laughs> but this movie has fucked me up for the rest <laughs> of my life and here's why because you're made to feel like oh christian slater is this like little boy he believes he's got a baboon heart. His heart might fail at any time. He's like on the precipice of like something and he's the sensitive, wounded little baby angel. And how could you not want to just take his broken bird wing into your hands and just fix him? I'm going to throw my hat in the ring here. Just again, knowing, knowing what's on my own list, I'm going to throw my hat in the ring here and say that Christian Slater was probably single-handedly responsible for fucking us up when it came to tropes <laughs> for straight men in the 90s. Because every movie he made was a different version of like, nope, not this guy. Stay away from him. <laughs> but they made us love him. shit out of him. Every single movie of his should have come with a fucking warning. And none of them did. You are absolutely 100% right. Rosie Perez is my favorite part of this movie. Marissa Tomei and Rosie Perez are BFFs. They're, they work on the diner together. And Rosie, like, Marissa Tomei tells her, like, I'm in love and I can't wait to tell you who it is. And Rosie Perez is like, who? And she's like, it's Adam. And Rosie Perez just goes, Adam? <laughs> like, <laughs> Adam? 
But you need that friend. You need that friend who's going to check you and be like, I know you're here all day, every day. And so options are limited and you kind of <laughs> love who you see, but not this dude. Well, and to be fair, Christian Slater's character, Adam, technically saves Marissa Tomei from like a murder rape assault, which I guess is like, you know, the way that they bond. But then beyond that, you would spend five minutes with him and be like, all right, this guy really truly believes he has a baboon heart. And maybe that's a red flag. Yeah. yeah like, we're cool to work together. Thanks for saving me. I'm always going to hold you in a special place in my heart. Let's work together and like be besties. We'll go for a drink, whatever. But that's it, man. That's it. I don't need a trauma bond with your baboon heart. <laughs> well, I needless to say, I thought this was the most romantic movie ever made, including Gone with the Wind. Uh, <laughs> better than Gone with the Wind. Better than Romeo plus Juliet. Better than, um, you know, kind of pretty, pretty much anything. So I <sighs> this was my ideal romance as a child. And um I must simply ask you what your next your next pick is. I'm going to pivot here to another Christian Slater jam. Yes. This was not only my one of my favorite movies in high school, one of my favorite soundtracks. It was like I wanted to start my own radio station. I started doing zines on the back of this. Pump up the volume. Yes. He's got a pirate radio station. Nobody knows who he is. I, I could be that anonymous nerd sitting across from you and you turn around. And he just looks away. There was nothing more appealing to me as a human being at that moment in my life than the quiet, unseen person who is actually the coolest person in the school. Yeah. That dynamic fucked me up for life because I'm like, oh, like the quiet ones are clearly the best ones. Yeah, you are absolutely right about this Christian Slater thing. I'm like, come on. Maybe we need to do a theme. Yeah, we're going to have to do a theme, girl. Are you kidding? We've already talked about him so much and we're like, there's a through line here. So in this movie, Christian Slater plays this high school kid who runs his own pirate radio station from his basement and he uses the moniker Happy Harry Hardon for his like radio name, which is so edgy. And he basically just goes to the mic and kind of like tells all the kids why they're bullshit and like why they suck and why this high school sucks. And I was like, fucking yeah. Like in high school, there was <laughs> nothing better to me than the notion that you could even put people on their, their back foot like that. Yeah. Oh, my God. And he falls in love. Like, he's got this 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 girl who kind of is into him. And um, it was, uh, I forget her, the character's name now, actually. Samantha Mathis, though, was the actress. Yeah. And she had, a, she had a cool little career for a while. She was in that movie with River Phoenix and, right, like that country mu mu movie. But there was just something that was so, like, radical and dynamic to me about this whole concept. And I definitely started making zines on the back of seeing this, this movie. Listen, these kids today, they just don't know like radio DJ movies. That was like the way there are so many different movies. And maybe this will be a theme one day where radio DJs were kind of like the voice of reason, the punk rock voice of reason for like entire generation. As, as an adult, I can see it clearly. As a teenager, I didn't know what the feeling was. Totally. But basically, it was, do I admire that and want to be that? Or am I attracted to that sexually? And the thing is, like, there were not a lot of pathways for me envisioning myself in those roles personally. I'm like, I think I'd be a fucking great underground DJ, but I don't know how to do it because everyone I'm seeing doing this is a fucking white dude. <laughs> like, I don't know. Remember that movie Talk Radio? Oh, yeah. So it's like shit like that. It's so funny to me because it was a big like anti-establishment, anti-authoritarian kind of classic when we were growing up. Completely. And again, like we didn't have a language for it at that point. Like I wasn't I didn't even know the words anti-establishment back then. But it was something about it that felt like visceral and like punk and cool. And it was like a big budget movie with fucking movie stars in it. So it was anything but. But at the time, it felt very transcendent to me. But this was also a movie that had a great soundtrack. Yes. Oh, God, it was amazing. Like that. I, I remember the CD cover like it was yesterday. It was the movie with the good Pixies song on the soundtrack. Yeah, I was in it. I was in it. But what's your next movie? Keeping in mind that my I have another Christian Slater one on the list. What's your next movie? I, th I think I am done with Christian Slater. I think 
Well, my next pick is uh, is another movie that had a really great soundtrack. I think people probably remember it more for the soundtrack than the movie, but it's this movie called Singles from 1992. We made the connection, and when you make the connection, it's like chemistry takes care of itself. I mean, it makes its own decisions, you know? That is an overlap. We have that both on our list. Oh, okay. we do. So let's talk about it then. Um, yeah, Singles. Jesus Christ. I mean, it was like basically the the grunge romantic comedy of our generation and every generation <laughs> and everyone but you know what here's the thing about when we had that reality bites episode you know there were to me here's here's how i remember it but you know like i said i could be completely fucking wrong to me singles came out when i when i first was in high school and it was like for the most part pretty legit because it was like hey it's the guy who did say anything and like eddie vetter's in the movie and like chris cornell's in the movie and it's like matt dillon like it was like here's like a legit sort of like you know i mean it's still corporate man so like fuck a movie (laughs) talking about our scene but at least it was like the participation of like, you know, Alice in Chains and Soundgarden made it legit. But then when Reality Bites came along, to me, that was the phony one. Hey, that's my bike. Sucks. Citizen Dick rules. That's all I have to say. Let's also be real that there's not a single person alive who lived in Seattle at that point, who was happy about this movie coming out and blowing up their spot. Of course not. Of course not. Like, it is the the surliest place I've ever lived, for sure. (laughs) But also, that was part of the draw to me of this movie, is that I felt like, oh, unlike this kind of unnamed Texas thing that was happening in, in Reality Bites, this seemed to be a movie that used the people that lived there and talked about what it was like to live there. Like, they didn't just ignore where they lived, as a part of, you know, the the scope of the plot. Like, it was very integral to the, to the plot. Um, I fucking love that movie. The weirdest things stand out to me about that film, and the one thing that I will never forget, and again, this is one of those things where as a teenager I thought, is this what it's going to be like to be an adult? Is when Bridget Fonda was making that goddamn disgusting salad yes. with the wilted brown lettuce. <laughs> She's just going down the line, like, cutting these disgusting vegetables and I was like, this is this is bleak, but it's adult. It's being an adult. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, I definitely there was such like moments of pure chicness of of what I thought adultness was going to be like. But I am so glad that you picked this, too. I mean, it's like I love this movie. I love it, too. It, it, it still actually holds up pretty well. I mean, there's like little moments, of course. I mean, honestly, like. In retrospect, you look at the Campbell Scott character and at first I was like, oh, he's so romantic and he's so committed and he's just he's like the relationship guy. But then I'm like, he has a little a couple of creepy moments now like as I go further and further away. Um, and Matt Dillon is just sort of like his character is a true dumbass. But, you know, I just love oh, it. But like an endearing dumbass like Matt Matt Dillon's character you has made me laugh from the first time I saw the film. As I get older, he makes me laugh even harder because I miss those dudes. I feel like dudes, I feel like there's not really like that kind of guy anymore. At least I don't meet them. Like there's not a guy who's just like kind of a like a dumb shithead. He's like Channing Tatum in fucking um, Step Up where it's just like, I'm your friend. I'm your brother's friend. I'm just sort of always around. I don't really have much going on, but I'm kind of funny and nice and like... You know, I just don't know anything. I don't know any better. There's like every everyone's very polished nowadays. And I, I don't meet a lot of unpolished people. And I kind of just really miss that. Yeah. I mean, it's so funny because it used to he, like he's the type of guy that like thinks he has a lot of self-awareness, like almost to a Buddhist degree or right. something like he, he's very spiritual. He has spiritual leanings, but he's fucking clueless. Like he just doesn't know anything that's going on. Uh, that is my true favorite type of guy and yeah you're right that doesn't exist very much anymore and just yeah simple and stupid and like simple and stupid but not like malicious like a non-malicious simple stupid dude yeah i think yeah his he didn't really i mean he's just dumb and he didn't know yeah what she wanted and didn't know how to ask you know but it's so such a time capsule soundtrack is incredible I just love this movie, and I'm so glad that you picked it, too. I figured you probably would, but, you know. Oh, Alice in Chains would on this soundtrack. <laughs> so the good. Best. And I think, if I remember correctly, it was the first song on side two of the cassette. 
which I always appreciated because I didn't have to rewind back too far. Like I could always just go back and listen to it again without having too much fuss. Uh, side two, song one, classic. So now you get to pick one. I am going to take us kind of in an opposite direction, but this also explains, I think, a lot about me. Um, my next favorite movie from high school is The Abyss. Oh, it came out in 1989. <laughs> Ooh la la. You can't leave me alone. You never backed away from anything in your life. Now fight. And it's like an underwater sci-fi movie with Ed Harris and Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio. And the end makes me cry and I don't want to ruin it. But it was the first time that I just wept at like a sciency movie. And it just, I don't know, there's like aliens involved. There's some shit going on. I don't want to ruin it for you in case you want to watch it. But the end made me actually cry. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, I love that. I love it when a, a science fiction or a horror movie makes people emotional. That's like my one of my favorite things ever. It made me so emotional. And I don't know what it, what it is, but I think that just, just the notion of when you're like a kid who's struggling, just the notion that something outside of your own universe, be it literal, figurative, whatever, could save you is just a very emotional place to be. And I think that's, you know, in retrospect, I think that's why that movie was like hit me in such an emotional way. But it's also just a good ass underwater sci-fi alien chase movie. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, who's the lead in that again? Now I'm completely blanking. Ed Harris. Ed Harris. Ed motherfucking Harris. <laughs> and just that, like, he's always had that sort of, like, soulful, crinkly face. And he's like, I don't think, I've ne I have never known him in film to have a full head of hair. So he's always had kind of, like, a dad vibe. But there's just something so gentle and approachable about him. And he gets, like, such emotion. I rewatched The Hours recently and was just, like, blown away by his performance. And just, like... You know, I've seen that movie so many times, but every time his character hits me differently every single time. But yeah, this movie was great. It was great. It was on HBO all the time. Um, and I would catch it at any point and just watch it to the end. It's such a good movie. I'm glad you picked it. I haven't I actually haven't seen it, but I remember I just remember when it came out and I remember that people talked about it a lot so yeah it's you're gonna watch madhouse and the abyss in one night and then you're gonna call me and be like i never want to talk to you again <laughs> this podcast is done i'm never talking to you again <laughs> no i mean it's funny because you always talk about how you can't stump me you stump me a lot you've stumped me at least twice on this on this episode so uh and i love it i absolutely love it yeah well i'm gonna watch it again because i you know i haven't um watched it recently but i'm I'm going to watch it again. And sometimes, you know, what happens is I'll watch, I don't know if this happens to you, but like I'll watch a movie that used to be very meaningful to me in some way or that I liked a lot when I was younger. And I'll just, instead of renting it, I just buy it because I just kind of know that I'm going to watch it again. And That's I what I did know. with Untamed Heart. I certainly right. do know. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, do I know? Yeah, I know. I ran a blockbuster to buy a DVD. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> what's your next film and the the lineage of, of movies we loved in high school well this i wish gentle ed harris would have been in this <laughs> next movie um because this is one of the ones that i'm telling you right now that like at the time i was so fucking all in on it's reservoir dogs from 1992 why can't we pick our own colors no way no way try it once it doesn't work you get four guys all fighting over who's going to be Mr. Black. But they don't know each other, so nobody wants to back down. No way. I pick. I, wow. I, I <laughs> liked this movie too much when I was in high school. Then, of course, I saw it and was like, oh, man, this is fucking crazy. This is like some shit I've never seen before. Like, what's up with everyone calling each other by colors? And you know, it's like, Oh, uh, it's mind blowing shit when you first see it. And, and at the time, I don't know if people know this. I don't know how old people are out there, but like Tarantino, when, when Reservoir Dogs, but especially when Pulp Fiction came out, he was an unblemished figure. Like he like turned everybody on their ass when he, when he first came out and Pulp Fiction was out when I was in high school too. And 
every that was the the one that everybody went crazy for and myself included but then like er, then after pulp fiction everybody went to see reservoir dogs and that's why i was like whoa this is some i I didn't know i thought maybe i was watching like the moon landing i didn't know what i was watching but i thought it was like a revolution and also like i remember reservoir dogs was that movie too where even more so than pulp fiction which i saw first um like everyone else in the country i couldn't believe that like the caliber of acting like he got some incredible actors that i recognized and knew but it was like like tim roth and fucking michael madsen and i'm like whoa like who is this guy who can write these movies and like this seems like a movie that like an indie guy would make but he got such an amazing cast that i couldn't understand how any of that worked i'll just tell you right now like when when mr blonde came on the scene everybody was like wiping their eyeballs clear to make sure that they were seeing a greek god you know they were basically like everybody i knew thought he was so hot like and i myself included and and the funny thing is when i did watch reservoir dogs a couple months ago i was like damn michael madsen could get it (laughs) like (laughs) fuck if you watch this if you watch reservoir dogs and especially if you watch thelma and louise you'll be like where is michael madsen in the late 80s early 90s I want to fucking fuck with him. Like, <laughs> damn. I mean, couldn't be hotter if he tried. Oh, no. But let me just tell you right now, who I had my eyes on when I saw Reservoir Dogs was Tim Roth. Yes. Send me down a, a spiral of Tim Roth obsession that lasted years. 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 Year, years. I saw him. I went to skip school, went to New York City one day. I went to the village specifically to go to Todd Oldham's store. Mm. I wanted to buy something. He was my favorite designer. I could not afford a goddamn thing. I ended up buying a white tank top that cost like $35, (laughs) which at the time was like $100. But I bought this white tank top. But as I'm leaving the store, Tim Roth walking out of Jean Fluvog. I legitimately followed him. Like I, I didn't plan it. I didn't. I wasn't trying to be a creep. I could not help it. Like my body, it was just like, here we go, bitch. I couldn't help it. I followed him around the village for like thirty minutes, just walking around store shopping, just buying boots. Oh, I couldn't. I could not stand how much I liked him after I saw Reservoir Dogs. Like, if listen, if you, if I would have seen him in person, it was like the Jonathan Knight thing slash harry styles thing if i if i could imagine myself in the same town as tim roth like ever when i was that age i would have dropped fucking dead from i still almost dropped dead because i'm like and he was british and like cool and funny like i remember seeing four rooms and being like oh my god he's funny too like it was just he was really top actor for me for a very long time and i don't know if you've seen tin star i think it's a show on amazon he's Good actor. Like, he's still pretty good, guys. I'll just tell you a quick story about my job. My job. Um, he was at the TCM Film Festival, like, <gasps> a couple of years ago. And I had to walk out of the green room when he walked in because I was like, oh, I'm going to be so embarrassing right now because I. it's like I don't want to talk to him. But if I did talk to him, I would just, like, fall down and just be like, I was like in love with you. I used to have <laughs> dreams about you. See, that to me seems like a horrible position to be in where you have to be professional around someone that's giving you those teenage feelings that I could not handle that. There are moments where that happens, like not just at my job, but sort of living in L.A. where I'm just like, I don't know what I'm like, what what is happening right now? And now you're just like at Ralph's buying frozen pizza. Did I ever tell you, <laughs> ever tell you that story when I first moved here? Uh-uh. First moved here, I was staying, uh, I was working for a show. They put me up at a hotel in Studio City near the, near where I was working at CBS, um, or on that lot, the CBS lot. And I could walk across the street to Ralph's to get food. And I went and I, I walked in one day and I saw this like kind of cool old green car in the parking lot as I was going in. And I'm like, oh, that's, you know, I guess in California you can have those kinds of cars. Like the weather doesn't fuck with them. Went, shopped around, got my stuff, got in line. As I'm unloading my shit onto the belt, someone behind me just plopping down one after the other frozen pizzas. Just one after the other, like those, those like Mama Celeste 
frozen pizzas. Yeah, like 10 for 10. Yeah, that yeah. Kind of 10 stuff. for 10, like pizza for one, that kind of thing. Just plopping them down, plopping them down, plopping them down. And I'm just in the zone. I'm just buying my little food shit. I pay, give the lady my card, kind of turn and look, just, you know, waiting for, for my pin to go through. And it's Jay Leno. <laughs> and I was like, I'm sorry. Because <laughs> now I know that car out there is his. And he's just buying, like, I'm not even exaggerating, like 25 Celeste frozen pizza. For, it was the saddest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Let me guess. He brought those shitty ass pizzas into this like perfectly restored 1950s thunderbird that probably cost like a hundred and ten thousand dollars that is could not be more exactly exactly <laughs> on point the car was pristine pristine and he's wearing like his canadian tuxedo buying like 25 fucking frozen pizzas for one and i'm like i don't understand this life but it instantly read to me as sad and i don't know maybe he's living it up he's like look i can buy fucking whatever car i want i can spend four hundred thousand dollars on a car and still eat pizza all day and be whoever and like he could be living his life i don't know it read to me as very deeply troubling mama celeste all day every day that does not surprise me at all, but also that is such a fucking welcome to L.A. That's such a hot story. I love it. <laughs> it's unreal. And that's where the stories are now in L.A. where I'm like, all right, it's no longer like, hey, there's Kevin Klein or whatever. It's just like, oh, my God. Like, why is John Larroquette at CVS buying like fucking skin tag oil? Like, I don't want to <laughs> know this shit about anybody. <laughs> well, shit, I hope when I come back to L.A., Tim Roth's at the porno store. Right, <laughs> he's still got it. He's still hot, by the way. Well, um, lot. Anyway, your turn. Oh. I have to stop talking about Tim Roth. Never, ever around me do you have to stop talking about Tim Roth. But I'm gonna bring it home with my final Christian Slater movie, <laughs> a movie that I can quote forwards and backwards. I have watched it so often. It's Heather's. Heather Chandler, Heather McNamara, Heather Duke. Veronica Sawyer. Heather's, 1988. So it came out when I was in middle school, but I watched it all throughout high school. All throughout high school. And just any film, and we might have talked about this already, but any film that to me kind of exemplified the bullshit I had to deal with every day was always going to be at tops of my list, including one where you actually kill the popular people yeah. and then blow up the fucking school. Like, that was the jam. Of course. But again, another complicated Christian Slater character who was a total murderous dickbag. Yes. Could not have been more, like, the bastion of romance to me. Yeah, it's it, like, he was, again, that, like, he was like goth. He was kind of, he had that slight goth um, kind of attitude, wore the trench coat. I mean, hello. And it, it was the perfect pivot for Winona Ryder's character because she was like, obviously like hanging out with these like rich bitches. They were like totally mean and shitty. And then it's like, hey, do you want to like escape this entire narrative that we all want to escape with you because people like this suck ass? Well, here you go. This charismatic, sarcastic, trench coat wearing black haired guy. Go. Just run, run, run to him. And just, oh, God, I just, I even loved how they conceived of the popularity, though. Like, you know, we each have our own color. Like, we, red is my color. And, like, you know, like Shannon Doherty grabbing that scrunchie and being like, this is mine now. And just like all, it just, I don't know. It, nothing spoke to me in a deeper way than Heather's. I've seen it so many times. I can vividly still see the VHS tape. It was one of those um, yellowish, orangish Kodak tapes with the black diagonal stripe. And I wrote Heather's on it in big, bold-ass Bic pen. And then underneath it in a marker, I wrote, do not tape over or I will kill you. <laughs> you had to do it that way or else somebody would get the wrong tape and start taping general hospital oh yeah my grandma would have used it for fucking days of our lives i would have been like excuse me this is not on hbo anymore this is my only chance to have this i went ham with that movie i loved it i loved it yeah i've seen it so many times and 
the one thing that will never go away in my mind every time I think about that movie is like, who the fuck loves corn nuts? Ew. Thank you. BQ or plain? BQ! BQ! Corn nuts are disgusting. Am I the only person that believes that? Uh, I, I didn't think I was, but... No. Who gets barbecue corn nuts makes me sick. And this is like, I'm a Southerner who eats boiled peanuts from a fucking gas station. I think barbecue corn nuts makes me want to vomit. For me, those were the kinds of things that like they hang in the gas station that no one ever buys. So they're there forever. Like dusty bags of corn nuts is on point because no one's ever buying them. Listen, I'm quite serious. If I ever had a bag of corn nuts by... You know, if somebody forced me, like if I was in a Guantanamo situation and I was forced to eat barbecue corn nuts, I would quite literally grab my neck and go corn nuts and crash through a glass table because they're <laughs> disgusting. Now we're going to get 100,000 people being like, but corn nuts are delicious. No. If you smash them up and put them on vanilla ice cream, they're the best. Uh, nope. Ew. Nope. nope, nope. God. Nope. We're going we're gonna to get it. Us. We're going to get it. You know we're going to get that. Like, oh, put yeah. them in your yogurt. And I'm like, uh-uh. <laughs> If you mention a snack on a podcast, you're getting fucking 20,000 messages to the contrary. Oh so I'm ready for it. I said it. I don't regret it. You got one more movie, though. I got one more movie and I'm going out with. Ugh, this is so fucking embarrassing. <laughs> um, it's it's embarrassing in just the right way. Um, so like towards the end of high school, I used to hang out with a lot of guys. A lot of them were nerdy. And a lot of them loved this movie called Seven. There are seven deadly sins. Gluttony. You're going to come take a look at this. Greed. No one touches anything. Sloth, wrath, pride, lust, and envy. Seven. That came out in 1995, starring Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman, directed by David Fincher, who we've talked about in the podcast before. Um, how to even talk about this? Because, first of all, this movie to me is fucking scary as shit like i was like i i can't even say at the time that i watched it with like jubilance because i was basically any time that my friends played it i was just kind of rubbernecking but also just sort of like knew what was going to happen that it was going to freak me the fuck out which is the guy in the bed with all of the air fresheners like disgusting i saw that movie with my mom oh god um senior in high school she had come through to like, you know, we tried to reconcile or something and she was around. She'd moved back to the area. And we went and saw this movie. And when that part comes up with the knife belt or like the knife dildo or whatever. Yes. Is, oh, my God. I wanted to crawl out of my skin and slip into a puddle of ooze, like form of ooze and just like like sludge out of the theater like i could not believe i was watching this it scared the shit out of me and i'm sitting next to my mom while this is happening yeah this okay this movie was sort of like i i had you know when i was in high school i was into kind of punk rock and kind of hung out with like you know the weird kids or whatever and it and let me just tell you we weren't cool when you think about like all the alternative kids no, no no we were like there was a level of of the the way that the the caste system played out in my high school was that you had like rich people then you had rich people who somehow figured out that the pixies existed and mm-hmm. liked um alternative music and then you had kind of their friends who were the skaters they were kind they weren't really rich but they were just kind of like but they were attractive so they were in like an upper level then you had me and my people who were like we were definitely not theater people but we knew them and we fucked with them a little bit but we were like the goths the punk rock kids the skaters that couldn't cut it in the upper skater level so they were like huffers basically like skaters that were too scary to be in gen pop they were like fucking sniffing glue and pretty much like it was a freak a freakish assortment and that's who (laughs) i knew and so at the time like av club kids like that's kind of how i was actually in an av type of program i was like in video production when i was in high school and so there was like a group of us it was me and like one other girl and like ten thousand guys and we were all the biggest nerds ever and we all somehow watched seven together at my friend john's house and it became this like total like we should start a secret society in our high school 
that's going to basically be this like club that hates all the rich, popular people. And we're going to base the mythology of it on the movie Seven. So it was called, I think they called it the Seven Deadly Monkeys. And I don't really know where that monkeys comes what? from. I think it was just it's yeah. because the movie 12 Monkeys had just come out. Yes, it was because 12 <laughs> Monkeys came out. Oh my God, that's so fucking funny that you said that. Um, so it was like a confluence of like stupid high school people shit. And so we created this like secret club where <laughs> all the members of the club were named after the seven deadly sins. So embarrassing. Wait a minute. Yes. And what was the purpose of this club? Just to talk shit about popular people or the like? It was a way for us to like write notes to each other. And it, it was like, you know how like stupid kids are where they're just like, I'm in a secret club and we're called the the Heathers or the, you know, whatever. And we're, when we write notes to each other, it's just going to be like, kind of like world building mythology building but we have literally no idea what we're talking about um and it was a lot of it was that we were just like we hated high school and we hated getting bullied by people and we just needed a, a, a place to congregate and i think at one point somebody took it seriously and they thought we were like a gang that wanted to blow up the school or something and i'm like you're barking up the wrong tree these are stoner idiots who love a David Fincher movie. This is, there's oh no deep state plot here. And that's how embarrassing this movie is. Cause every time I see it now, I'm like, Oh God, remember when I was in the seven deadly monkeys and <laughs> fuck man. You have to tell me which one you were. What deadly sin were you? I think it was anger. Incredible. Yeah. I should have, you know, obviously should have been sloth or gluttony, but it was definitely <laughs> anger. Did you write notes that were like to anger, love sloth? <laughs> <laughs> or like was it like i fucking hate this school signed they were like <laughs> pride listen me sloth and i outside of taco bell next period lust will be there too we need to talk <laughs> we're going to taco bell me pride and lust are going to taco bell this was the early days of microsoft Uh, word in microsoft office i think we typed out some stuff and used like a really stupid microsoft font i gotta find it i gotta find it i think it's in california so maybe i'll get you to drive to my uh storage space and go fucking find it (laughs) i would do that would spend four days of my life doing that if need be i would spend a solid week of my life looking for this fucking Microsoft so, Word document. Yeah, it was. I mean, there was a lot of clip art of daggers and dragons and things. I can't. I want to interview every single one of the seven deadly monkeys. We need to have them on the show. <laughs> I want you all talking to David Fincher. Be like, look, listen. I can probably. I haven't talked to them in a really, really long time. Like twenty years, maybe. But I'm almost certain that one of them, at least one of them, is probably like a cryptocurrency king. Like, it's gotta be that. Like, someone's out there with like sitting on like seven million in Bitcoin or something. Like, it's like oh, that level. How many of the seven deadly monkeys bought GameStop stock? <laughs> All of them, but me. And I didn't because I just didn't know how to buy stocks. Um, <laughs> I, um, oh, no. I really want to edit all of that out, but I'm, <laughs> <laughs> you can't, you can't, you can't, it's too good. Oh my God. We have to call this episode seven deadly monkeys. It is too good. <laughs> it's too, it's so, oh good. God. so bad and embarrassing, but I had to say it is because of this stupid movie, which I haven't actually seen in a long time, but man. Uh, it really hit me when I was in high school. So there you go. Oh, but this is like, there's no better way to end this. And <laughs> I feel like this is a topic we can revisit anytime, but we got a couple of good themes out of this. Yes. We've definitely got like, I mean, look, people are always asking us like for a hashtag or what they can call themselves. If the f- people who listen to our show call themselves the seven deadly monkeys, <laughs> no. I would never need anything else in my life to happen that's good it would be the end of everything good i'm sure like this is this is never gonna happen but it'll be that moment like where 
one of the seven deadly monkeys who's now like a father of four and works at like Deloitte and Touche. Yeah, Deloitte and Touche <laughs> or a Honda dealership is scrolling Instagram and sees a hashtag that says seven deadly monkeys and then just literally sits up in bed and just is like, I thought that secret would have gone to the grave. We had a deep pact that no one would ever speak of the seven deadly monkeys. Oh There's been a breach. There's been a breach. <laughs> yeah, four, four of the seven deadly monkeys would sue for the name. <laughs> exactly right would be like um i'm sorry we didn't realize when you put this out in the world as a title of your show that we were going to be in litigation for this <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> I swear to god i feel like sometimes like i'm like i don't give enough of myself on this podcast sometimes i don't really talk a ton uh about things from my past in this way <laughs> that i'm like maybe that's a there's a good reason um, but also, I wish you fucking would, because <laughs> I'm going to start dragging this shit out of you. I never in my life would have on my own thought to ask, were you in any weird goth <laughs> secret gangs in high school? <laughs> that were based on the movie Seven. I listen. If this is the kind of shit that comes out of you revealing more about your life, you need to use this podcast as the jumping off point for every story you've ever had. You have the most amazing stories. <laughs> well, I, I'm certain that even April, my best friend who I went to high school with, doesn't even know about this. I literally have never <laughs> talked about this before now. <laughs> so you're going to try to cut it, and we are not cutting the shit. <laughs> oh, God. The secret, oh God. the word is out. We are seven deadly monkeys. <laughs> That is what every listener to our show, we want the hashtag rolling. <laughs> God, I want to die. But I, but I love it. Oh, God. Well, listen, on that note, I am so happy that we took this trip down memory lane. I'm so happy to be doing this podcast with you, to be laughing about our shit from like high school. And this is awesome. I'm so glad. It is the funniest and the best time always and i'm so i'm so glad we got through that time in our life and oh God, all the years right. after because look you start with seven deadly monkeys it takes you like 20 years to recover from being that person <laughs> like that is an ingrained part of your personality and i say that as someone who like imprinted like a duck on fucking madhouse and pump up the volume like it takes you a while to get that shit out of your system so i'm glad we got through it and could be here in this moment and be cool and rad thank you for holding space for my seven deadly monkeys admission i really appreciate it that i cannot believe that you held on to seven deadly monkeys for this long but i'm also glad that you did i cannot I mean, believe it but I'm so glad that you did. Having said any of that, if you have, I actually would be curious to know about your high school favorites. If you, I'm sure Danielle is too. If you want to email Absolutely. us, um, I saw what you did pod at gmail.com. Yeah. You can hit us up on Instagram and Twitter at I saw pod and let us know what you were into in high school. And if you had any gangs or clubs or anything close i mean no one's gonna top seven deadly monkeys here's here's what i'm proposing right now if you have a picture of yourself as a goth teenager that was in a goth gang hashtag that shit with seven deadly monkeys i want to see it right now <laughs> tag your weird high school club photos tag your high school gang i want the seven deadly monkeys hashtag to be fucking pumping <laughs> reveal all even if it's just you and one other person don't care get it in there get, even you you could have been a gang of one get it in there and listen i don't want to see anybody if you were a heather if you were a heather and you you know had amazing hair and skin in high school and were a hottie boom this I would love to see your gang, but not with the seven deadly monkeys no. hashtag. This is truly for the losers only. The <laughs> losers dance. Bring it. That's what I want to see. <laughs> this is the, the den of iniquity for high school gangs. 
Oh my god! Well, show us your de- seven deadly monkeys crew. I cannot wait. I want to release this now, like today. <laughs> Thank you to everybody who has subscribed to us on Stitcher Premium. We really appreciate it. It helps Danielle and I and the show. So much. It's great. And um, any final words? I mean, if you know John Larroquette Sr., <laughs> tell him to hit me up. <gasps> hit us up if you, if, you, uh, if you were part of the Seven Deadly Monkeys of your own. No. And also tell us the name of your group and... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we're probably going to cut all of this. We're going to end with Millie being a professional, awesome (laughs) radio person instead of me being like, hit me up, John Larroquette. (laughs) No. I want John Larroquette to come on and talk about Jurassic Park. So let's keep it in. Oh, Um, my gosh. On that note. (laughs) You're the best. Thank you for bearing with me. We'll see you soon. Thanks again. Thanks, everyone. This has been an Exactly Right production. Our producer is Lauren Elizabeth Brown. Our engineer is Annalise Nelson. Our social media assistant is Taryn Mazza. Our theme songs by Tom Bryfogel. Artwork by Garrett Ross. Our executive producers are Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgareth, and Danielle Kramer. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at ISawPod. And as always, please listen, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. 